Broadcasting live from Margot Martindale's beautiful eyes, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. And today we're we're doing a blast from the past, not only in our own Disney Plus celebration anniversary, but also in our own podcasting history. Today we're doing a little surprise revisit of The Rocketeer. You might have heard us last week mention that this week's main segment was going to be Ghostbusters Afterlife, but unfortunately it got delayed, unbeknownst to us, to the the next week. So we decided when we realized that there was going to be a special Disney Plus screening of The Rocketeer to go ahead and cover that for the show because it's something we've been wanting to take another look at for a long time. Yeah, I think it was episode 16 years ago we... Attempted to record a special Disney Plus deep dive when it was just the first few weeks of it uh, being out, I think. And, yep. you know, I, th- I think it was more than time for a revisit for audio quality reasons and the fact that this movie is maybe one of the best Disney movies of the last 30 years. Especially, uh, certainly one of the most underrated, I would say. That is absolutely true. I think we, we talked uh, only a, f- you know, a couple months ago or a few weeks ago about the new Rocketeer coming out, and I think we're ahead of the curve here, Garrett. I think there's going to be Rocketeer mania on the other side of that. I think we're we're going to come back. I I would I would love that to happen. I love the Rocketeer. Um, I'm so excited that they're bringing it back. But first. We've got a bunch of other Disney news to talk about because that's that's what we are on the show, I guess. <laughs> that's what we do um, here, Garrett. But so first up, this is some very interesting news, I think, and, and something that I was initially very excited about, and now there's been a bit more of a discussion about, which is that Disney Plus has launched as of Disney Plus Day, November 12th, a series of Marvel Cinematic Universe films are now available in their IMAX ratios the aspect ratios at which they were shown in IMAX theaters during their initial theatrical run. Now, some directors, such as Scott Derrickson, who directed the first Doctor Strange film, have expressed displeasure with the fact that Disney's made this choice because they claim that they were formatted, you know, exclusively to be shown in IMAX theaters and that that aspect ratio doesn't translate the same to a home theater environment. But all the same, I'm pretty excited about this because basically... IMAX ratio is almost never made available uh, on home video or mm. streaming or anything like that. Like Dune, sure, you can go to the theater and watch it in IMAX, or at least you could a couple weeks ago. But you, when you watch it on HBO Max, you're not watching it in its IMAX ratio. Now, I, I was just excited to hear about this because of like what you were just saying, something like a Dune, something that you want to get every extra you know, extra bit of space that is being filmed on the sides there that you would otherwise otherwise not see. And granted, when it's somebody like uh, you who has, like, a giant TV and, like, a nice sound bar and stuff, I feel like that would be a very fun experience to try to do the IMAX ratio. But now, like, are they just trying to advocate for the experience of, like, going to an IMAX, really? Or will I will it feel weird to truly watch in that ratio on a TV. Cause I feel like it would just be fascinating to me at the very least. I think I'm going to watch a few of them at least. Um, I'm trying to decide if I want to watch, I haven't seen Shang-Chi yet and I know neither of you. I'm trying to decide if the first time I watch Shang-Chi, I want to watch it with the oh. IMAX on or off, but I will definitely be revisiting the guardians films. 
with this IMAX ratio. Probably I'll revisit the first Iron Man with this new ratio. Oh, they're going all the way. Is it all of them or is it just a select few? No, I think I think it's like 13 of them or something. Oh, that's I can, still, I'll pull that's up the list lot. real quick. Yeah, for sure, because that would definitely be interesting. I, I wasn't even interested in any Avengers MCU stuff until probably 2012, so it would be... It would be interesting to see something like an Iron Man 1 with that IMAX ratio. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the IMAX ratio is, Seamus? Well, for films formatted and shot on like IMAX cameras, an uh, IMAX ratio is designed to give that extra bit of space on the sides. And the is it also the top and bottom of the screen? It's just like a much wider shot that's used for the larger screening of an IMAX theater. I will slightly correct you, which yes, is there's no wider, it's only taller. It's just taller. Oh, gotcha. It's a 1.9 to 1 aspect ratio, so making it significantly taller. I think it's like 25%, somewhere around there, more screen. Which on is the, pretty significant, you know, like- I would say. You know, that's that's... A pretty high percentage number, so maybe it will seem a little strange to be able to kind of pick out that spacing on a just a regular TV, but I'm still very interested to see, you know, what that could bring to the table, especially if they can pull it off with something like a Dune, which, I mean, would be incredible to see in that ratio, I think, in any any aspect. So, the, um, the 13 titles available on Disney Plus right now are... The first Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Civil War, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, Endgame, Black Widow, and Shang-Chi. Not not bad. I assume they'll if this is successful, they'll probably just uh, keep it going with every new release on Disney+. Plus. I would assume so, but this is kind of an event, like it's a Disney Plus Day thing. Um, also, it's interesting to me that... So the the earliest film on there is Iron Man, which I believe is in its entirety in the IMAX ratio in the IMAX enhanced version. But then when you get to Guardians of the Galaxy on, I believe that it's switching aspect ratios. So it like most of the movie is in its original aspect ratio. Then when you get to a big IMAX sequence, the aspect ratio oh, changes. That is very strange. That might be a little jarring if I'm being honest, but I mean, that's how it is off. That's how it would be when you go to see it in the theater, too. Like, when I went to see Mission Impossible Fallout, right, um, in IMAX, I saw it. It's mostly in the normal aspect ratio and then switches to IMAX. Again, I just feel like with that, when you're actually in an IMAX theater, I feel like you're so, you're kind of, you're drowning in that screen when you're in there. You're really kind of lost in it. So I feel like it might be a little easier to clock a little more noticeable when it is just on the smaller screen. But I don't know. Again, I, I, wa- I would I would watch uh, Shang-Chi with you in that IMAX just to see if we could even detect much of a difference at all. Yeah. I mean, I think the only movie that I've ever seen in IMAX ratio at home is that it, Mission Impossible Fallout does change aspect ratios mm, when you watch mm. it. And I think that that's incredibly effective specifically for that movie. I also think that's one of the best action movies ever made, <laughs> and it was very clearly engineered so specifically to have that experience. Yeah, I was just that that movie specifically might just be cheating to use an ex- as an example for this, since it is just genuinely so well done from what I've heard. 
Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know how about how something like a Marvel movie that I've seen, like the first Iron Man, I think it's, it's a fine looking movie. Mm. Um, it's a competent action movie, but I don't know how much it's going to change my experience. I'd be much more interested in something like how I, tr- how to train your dragon or Dune getting this kind of treatment. How to train your dragon. Interesting. Why that? Why that? One? Because the, I remember seeing, um, I think it was the second one in IMAX and just being blown away by those flying sequences. I also hear they were amazing in 3D, which I did not see them in 3D, but... I might need to revisit those then, because I don't, I don't remember being entirely that <laughs> impressed by those. Why don't we move on to our second and last piece of news for today? Yes, yes. Disney Plus Day also gave us a behind-the-scenes sizzle reel look at the Obi-Wan Kenobi series... We were hoping for a trailer. We didn't get it. It was much more of a like, oh, Ewan McGregor's in talking in an interview about how excited he is to do the show. And there's a bunch of concept art. We got some Inquisitors going on. We've got Darth Vader. They're talking about Hayden Christensen returning. They're teasing a duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan, which I really, really hope doesn't happen. But I just I know it will. So I'm trying I'm, to prepare myself. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope that that piece of concept art, which looks like they're back on Mustafar dueling again, like in Revenge of the Sith. I'm hoping that's a red herring, that that's either a force nightmare vision or uh, that isn't Obi-Wan because they, they kind of obscure that figure because it's from the back. He just has a blue lightsaber. I'm thinking maybe... Hopefully, good God, please, uh, we were talking about this at length, how we don't want them to actually meet on screen again, because it undermines so much of what happens in A New Hope. It would just be very, like, fan service in the worst way possible. I am i don't want to spoil it for you, Seamus, unless you haven't heard this interview, but I do know that somebody else says, like, there's another actor in the series that I saw an interview with where they talk about that their character at one point does wield a lightsaber. Now, that could mean they're Ooh. an Inquisitor. That could mean they're, um, you know, just holding Obi-Wan's lightsaber for some reason. Sure, that sure. That could mean any number of things, but they did say that, so it's very possible that we could be seeing somebody else that's a lightsaber wielder fighting Vader. I See, I'm into that. We got, we, we've got our little tastes of, like, scary, badass Vader in things like... Uh, Jedi Fallen Order and Rogue One, things like that. So to actually maybe get a little live action on screen Jedi hunting going on would be just another awesome layer on top of this new, way scarier Darth Vader that is being cultivated. Also, this is something I was thinking about today on the bus. Is there any way that anything they're going to do with Obi-Wan and Vader is going to be any more cool or satisfying than how those characters are treated on Star Wars Rebels? (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe with all of the Rebels that seeped into Mandalorian, it will actually seep more into Obi-Wan Kenobi as a show, and we'll get that little, you know, the, the great way that they're handled on that show kind of actually getting into more... I mean, probably what I assume is going to be a more popular Star Wars thing than Rebels, just because so many people discount those animated shows. It'll be a good way to kind of spread that, how they were doing that uh, a couple of years ago in, in something like this. Have you finished Rebels yet, Seamus? No, I have not, Garrett. I'm, I'm a fool and a slow watcher. I, I'm, I'm watching so many things. Oh, I know it. I do, there's no shade there. 
but that, I, 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 I shade myself I talk a little about it with you. I, I, I totally get it. Cause I'm in the, I'm in the real thick of it. And it's really the only mainline Canon stuff that I have not fully gotten around yet for whatever reason. So I just need to get my butt in gear maybe before this Kenobi series. Cause I guarantee there's going to be with what they're setting up with like Ahsoka and that Thrawn stuff. I'm sure I'll, I'll really need to sooner or later. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that should be your goal, I think, to get done by the Kenobi series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm very excited about this Kenobi series, though. From the, from the stuff we've seen, maybe there is a little Fallen Order connections there with some underwater bases and all that. And I, I'm so enthralled with the Vader castle whenever I get to see it on screen. So I, I was definitely happy to see a lot of that in the concept art, too. That's why Seamus' favorite movie of the year is... Lego Star Wars Terrifying <laughs> Tales, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Oh, God. Did you even watch that? Was that good? I did. It was better than the Christmas one, so... Oh, and I liked the Christmas one, so maybe, maybe I should watch that. It was... Yeah, it was cute. I liked it, you know. But, you know, hopefully this will be a little more serious of a Darth Vader tale, because he a scary guy. I want, a, I want more Darth Vader puns, like in Rogue One. Speaking of Darth Vader puns, why don't we jet on over to our main segment? Oh, let's do it. This week's main segment, we are taking another look at the 1991 Disney classic, The Rocketeer, which was a very special surprise Disney Plus Day screening at our local uh, our local theater. Our local theater, AMC. We're the yeah. <laughs> Hell, we were one of the only people in that audience. I mean, it was a thrill to see this in theaters, Garrett. It was such a good way to experience this. I think it was the best movie experience I've ever had with The Rocketeer specifically. Um, it's the first time seeing it in theaters for me as well, obviously. And the most I think I've ever enjoyed that movie since I was eight years old. I I can only imagine, dude. It was so... I had a huge, dumb smile on my face the whole time. Like, from the second that that amazing soundtrack kicks in, those horns. Ooh, they got me so amped. And I don't know. I, I'm very... I'm, it was a special time, truly. Because, I mean, when else are you going to get to see The Rocketeer in... Like a real big multiplex theater, you know? That's It's not something you're really going to get to do all the time. I think the last time we covered this, it had lost a little bit of its shine for me, but I think it's back. Is it now. back for you? I think... It is, because I, I hadn't revisited it in years, like so many years, when we covered it a couple of years back. And I hadn't watched it since we covered it for the show, and I was like, oh man, The Rocketeer is not as good as I remember it being. And then I watched it again <laughs> with you just... Uh, just on Friday, and while sure it's a slow burn start, sure, sure, that third act is one of the greatest of all time. It's incredible. Oh man, it's electric. So much of that third act is just like it's the culmination of all of the whimsical swashbuckling fun that you really need. It's it's an Indiana Jones. It really is an Indiana Jones of itself in every way. And I don't know. It's it has. I would argue that it has a better third act than three out of the four Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, and still a, a ton of Nazi punching action. You gotta love it. Still, <sighs> he does. He does punch some Nazis. Yeah, he does. I just love it. Doesn't doesn't shoot a single. Does he kill a single person in this movie? Um, I guess tech, he takes indirectly. I think. Sure, I don't sure. I don't, I don't think he shoots anybody. 
Oh, he definitely doesn't shoot anybody. He has a gun for 30 seconds before it's not so they can sense. get the sweet ah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I, we really um, are. There's so much there's so much fun to talk about in there. We're really we're really getting too close. As always, Timothy Dalton just absolutely amazing a in this master movie. He blows man. me away. So good. Every time. I he especially as a good little villain boy, he is just as charming as he is dastardly. He's like going to tie people up and put them on the railroad tracks if you if you give him enough time on screen and it's so much fun. He really is dastardly. That's such yeah. a good word for it. <laughs> He's the the classic villain. And I guess there's a lot of classic archetypes in this movie because it is I mean so much of a comic book, so much of a pulpy little comic story that that's really all they can fit in there. God, I wish there were genuine sequels to this back in the day. They could have made so many, but this movie is very much obviously in the vein of Indiana Jones. I don't think it's trying to hide the fact that it's trying to be like Indiana Jones. Also worth mentioning, it's coming off the back of Batman 89, mm, which mm. Where, which saw a resurgence in like pulp comic adaptations. But there's just so much in this that you do not see in movies anymore. We have been talking a lot about a line of law enforcement agents with Tommy guns just <laughs> open firing and oh. how every movie should have a sequence with that in it. Truly such a satisfying, just like the spraying down the front of the house through the windows, everything's getting chewed up. It's, oh, it's so good. But yeah, Timothy Dalton, I just... I can't get over how good he is. Right off James Bond, too. He just finished being James Bond. Oh, yeah. I guess that would have been right around that time. And he's, I think, having so much fun. And he's really elevating that role. Because it, it's really campy and it could have come off, I think, not very well. Mm, yeah. But I don't know. Just the the way he plays the... Like, there's the Neville Sinclair actor face. The way he does a lot of the undercover stuff when he's just trying to be his actor self translates so well to when there are bigger reveals to the characters about his true intentions it's it's so well done very very true i think all of the actors in this are doing a great job billy campbell Mm -hmm. is the lead at cliff secord and cliff secord he should have been in everything he was great he's like a little proto Brendan Fraser. I was gonna say he's he is a Brendan Fraser meets a Ryan Reynolds. It's like t- double charming without the annoyingness of what <laughs> Ryan Reynolds could bring to the table with all of the handsome jawline. You know, it's 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 a perfect cocktail, and he really should have been the biggest star of the '90s. You know, yeah, he he should have. Um... I don't know what else he could have been. He could have been in The Rock, I guess. He could have been Nick Cage's character <laughs> in The Rock, a movie we just watched. Um, uh, he should have been Captain America, if I'm being honest. Just Yeah, he should have been Captain America. Oh, you do you mean the really bad 90s Captain America movies that they made? The TV yeah. ones? Oh, is that a thing that I never knew about until just now? Oh, <laughs> now we're having to do them for the show, Shane. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to do that, and then the, the 80s Fantastic Four, that was a train wreck. Christopher Lee's in one of them, I think. It's going to be great. That's true. We're going to have a wonderful time. Yeah. Oh, man. They're bad. They're really bad. Oh, I, I totally believe that. But, I mean, if if our boy Cliff Secord was in them, I bet that would have been at least elevated a little bit. Yeah, he could have saved it. I bet you. Jennifer Connelly, great in this movie. Speaking of elevating a real damsel in distress role, I think she's trying really hard to not be 
how she's written, how she's written, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, she she you know when there are things that she has to deal with in the third act, there are things that set her a bit apart from you know other people that could have been playing really more damselly. She's a little more capable than she seems at first, I suppose. There are several, though, what I would call Princess Buttercup Fire Swamp moments. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. <laughs> somebody like where the Rocketeer is grappling with somebody and she's just standing there watching it happen. Yeah, that definitely is something I remembered from my first watch of this movie. Is that she, she she's good at watching. She she like tries a little bit to fight when she's on her own, but when when the Rocketeer's there, she's just she's just with there with the popcorn. But I mean, Jennifer Connelly, she's doing a great job. Um, every single side character in this movie is your favorite actor. <laughs> oh hell yeah! All the all the mobsters are so good. All of the 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 main FBI guys are really really good. Yeah. Um, John Polito as the money grubbing airstrip <laughs> owner. Oh, he's so good. He'll do anything to make a buck. You've got um, obviously Paul Sorvino is the mob boss. Oh, he's so gold in this. Truly one of the MVPs of this entire movie, for sure. I mean, I think he's got the best moment in this movie, which we'll talk about in spoilers. You know we're going to talk about that in spoilers. Uh, obviously, Margot Martindale, God bless yeah. her soul, her eternal soul is... I don't remember her name because I only call her by her Christian name, Margot Martindale, whenever I see her in anything. <laughs> trying to think of terry o'quinn as howard hughes of course oh he's so good william sanderson right from blade runner is one of the guys in the that frequents margot martindale's oh cafe. yeah yeah lothar shout out our boy yeah lothar he's wonderful that's um i can't remember that actor's name right now tiny ron something <laughs> oh yeah which is ironic. Oh yeah, Get it, it's you a joke, Shamus. You gotta love some. Tiny. You gotta love that's that's some legit mobster nickname stuff, you know. Uh, Tiny Ron Taylor. I looked it up just now. Oh god, yeah, he's great. So, some peak henchman work going on there. There's a lot of henchmen between the mob and the the Nazis and the FBI and you know. Yeah, there's just goons, goons galore. Yeah. There's never been a better movie for goons. <laughs> yeah, truly. Oh man. Maybe Dick Tracy, which came out the year before this, also a Disney production. Yeah, definitely. They were like, people love the goons. We got to keep it up. We got to get all those goons on screen. And, you know, they were right. Uh, I, I do love, love it. Hell yeah. Some of the best moments in this movie are just like confrontations between goons and main characters, between goons and other goons of a different goon faction that they're working for. <laughs> It's it's really good stuff. Relax, Frankenstein. <laughs> you ain't bulletproof. Oh, truly one of the best. That was that was FBI to Lothar. Was that that is a mobster mobster to Lothar? To Lothar. Do you want to get into spoilers? I mean, this movie is so good. I I want to just talk about all the ridiculous fun stuff that's in here. Yes, let's call spoilers. And if you have not watched The Rocketeer on Disney Plus, stop this podcast right now and go watch it this second. It's so good, and you deserve it to to give it to yourself to go watch that movie. It's it's a blast. Suffer through the interminable opening credits, <laughs> and then thank us later. Yeah, truly, if you if you like any kind of pulpy comic stuff, this is for you. But let's talk. Sp- 
spoilers, Seamus. Let's talk spoilers. There's <laughs> there's two like big reveal moments in this movie that are not reveals to any like barely reveals to anybody in the audience or in the in the characters themselves, which I always thought was funny. Which are okay, tell them to me. Oh, oh, just the um Cliff telling Jenny that he's the Rocketeer, like that was supposed to be a super big thing. Even though I was it's, almost it's positive, played as a joke though. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe that's why I was so. <laughs> I remember that being such a goofy thing to me because it is so. Like they do kind of build it up to me. And there's another one too where um. Is it when Sinclair is revealed to be a Nazi? Is that when that's supposed to be like a big dramatic turn? To be fair, we know Sinclair is bad, but we don't know he works for the Nazis up until that point. I guess that's true, yeah. that they, There's they're... nothing to indicate that he's a Nazi up until that point. Until he has his weird German-English accent in the last couple scenes that he's in. Yeah. I do love that. It, that that was something that I didn't remember the first time, that he's, like, actually German and that he's faking being English, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that is bizarre to me. But I'm going to take umbrage with your, char- with your characterization of Cliff's reveal because I think that's a great gag that, she, that he's like, I'm the Rocketeer. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've, I've been busy I, all I, day. I, I've been at work. I do, you know, I do think that was a good funny moment, to be honest, but I, what else am I thinking of? There's, like, another moment where they do, there's one that's more dramatic, I feel like. Is it the one where they show the immaculately animated film that a man died smuggling out of Germany <laughs> that's just a bunch of Nazis in jetpacks taking over the Capitol building? <laughs> Maybe. I do, I do love that Mickey Mouse Walt Disney World War II cartoon. That is pretty great. And I just love, yeah, there's really no information that you don't already have. And it's like, yeah, the Nazis want to use the jetpacks to take over the world. Sure. You know, like they could have, they could have just shown him because there's like, they show him the Nazi test footage of their own jetpack. They could have just shown him that and been like, they want to use the real one, the good one. Yeah, but something that I think the the people that we went with that hadn't seen this movie were really taken with was the, what they perceived as like the American propaganda of this film which i think is very intentional i think it's saying something with it and it's throwing itself back to the serials of the time oh sure you've got that sequence where it's like the nazis want to burn the american flag <laughs> and you've got the rocketeer in the money shot of all money shots oh, the best and looking over his shoulder with the spider-man american flag going behind him that's a comparison you originally made yeah, uh, yeah. i want to give you credit oh for that. thank you sir yeah truly just like a spotlight on him american flag blowing in the wind he's got the luger in his hand that again i met i i think i mentioned this earlier he has for all of 30 seconds firing zero shots the entire movie it's just for that one Lothar shot knocks it dead out of his hands oh yeah he comes in with the big lumbering uh final henchman fight you gotta love that with the big wrench that's a big indiana jones energy moment oh hell yeah the, everything on the blimp very much so yes yes even like the the nazi guy that's yelling at sinclair like where's the jetpack and he like throws him out the window that was i don't know that was halfway between raiders and last crusade yeah very much so i mean that guy clearly just looks like <laughs> yeah Tote from raiders yeah exactly exactly but the greatest moment um in this film and maybe all of cinema uh, <laughs> is where the mobsters working for Timothy Dalton's character, Neville Sinclair, find out that he's in league with the Nazis and turn on him because they might might not make an honest buck, Seamus, but they are 100% American. And then they team up with the FBI to gun down those no good crowds. 
amazing. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Absolutely incredible. There's a like a a Nazi Red Dawn commando squad that just emerges from the bushes in like their little floppy hats. At and the they Griffith have... Observatory, <laughs> yeah. nobody's noticed this. Oh, and they just have an incredible back to our beautiful Tommy Gun gunfight at the Griffith Observatory. There, there's a great little moment between uh, the mobster and the FBI guy where they're just like just behind in a foxhole together, firing at these Nazis. It's it's beautiful. And, and that entire sequence is so good in general. Not just that specific mobster moment, but the escalation of events that is just absolute <laughs> chaos. Yeah. Because it's, it's a showdown to get Jennifer Connelly back where he's going to trade the jetpack. So it's like the Rocketeer versus Timothy Dalton and his mobster goons. Then And it starts off so perfectly, too, because you, you have this nice just little firefly oh, yeah. of his engine coming full into frame. And he lands and it tracks as he walks and he is perfectly framed in front of the center of the statues in front oh, of the Griffith yeah. Observatory. And it's gr- this great centered shot. And then you get the reverse of him walking forward and all the mobsters parting oh, as he yeah. walks towards Dalton and Connolly. It like what a statement to open up this crazy sequence with. Yeah, seriously. It's such high energy. And then he implements a plan that fully works. The plan to reveal <laughs> Timothy Dalton's Nazi intentions. And then there's like in a, a four-way faction Mexican standoff gunfight with uh, all American overtones and a Nazi blimp emerging from <laughs> under over the over the observatory and it's it's truly cinema at its finest yeah it's it's wonderful it's straight out of an old comic or an old serial but something that never has been realized so effectively I I would love I know we we kind of mentioned that the the new take on the Rocketeer with the Tuskegee Airman angle maybe we'll get a little more serious about it but I what like what could they even do to have a comparable scene like that again in something like the new Rocketeer I feel like I want that energy back but I, I'm not sure how they would be able to pull that off. I don't know, especially because I suspect that the whatever new Rocketeer it is is going to be more directly involved in the war, mm-hmm. which on the one hand is fun, and I don't, I, I think that's an interesting way to take that. And if there had been an original Rocketeer sequel, obviously the Rocketeer would have been fighting more Nazis. Oh sure, in, sure. In World War Two, but at the same time, I'm kind of like I think part of what makes this movie so interesting to me is the fact that it's not like directly involved in the war. It's in this weird version of 1930s Los Angeles that never really existed Mm. and it's just I think Cliff is a super super effective protagonist because he feels like this just down on his luck everyman like truly an everyman in a way that most quote-unquote everyman heroes aren't that I feel like I under like he's doing a lot of the same stuff that I would be doing in his situation. Obviously, he's very brave and he's like super handsome and everything. Sure, um, <laughs> sure. But it's like he is so fallible, and they put him in very grounded situations. Mm-hmm. Even like the moment where he's at the South Seas Club and he hides the jetpack in the laundry, and then he comes back, and there's a bunch more. <laughs> oh <laundry>. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I used to dive into it to find it. Yeah, that's good stuff. And we were even we were talking about it on the car ride back from the theater too. He's such an everyman that even at the very end of this movie, when he is using the jetpack to get on the blimp to do the final showdown, he's still like not entirely stable on his feet with the jetpack, and he's not an expert with everything. He still gets you know he he gets got by Lothar pretty immediately because he is still kind of flying by the seat of his pants. And it, it just feels really good that he's still that every man, despite his transition into maybe a more respectful person to his girlfriend and less of a self-serving person, better for the greater good to be the rocketeer, as it were. Yeah, and I think that is like a really where... Okay, two, I have two things to say in response to that. Okay. Um, One, did you read that Scott Tobias retrospective that I sent you the other night? I don't think I did. I didn't see that. There's a, there's a great um article. It's very short, reflecting on The Rocketeer for its 30th anniversary in The Guardian. And it's, it's only a few paragraphs. It's really nothing more than like an appreciation. Mm. But the author compares cliff flying the rocket pack he's like it's less um you know it's less like what you think of as a traditional jet pack going anywhere you want like the in the nazi cartoon sure and it's more like a birthday balloon that's been popped and is flying around <laughs> yeah. oh and it's so good too when you with those effects where he's flying like that are so fun and all honestly hold up better than i remember oh, them yeah. holding up and the other thing is you mentioned that really his arc is like not being a jag to his girlfriend. Like <laughs> yeah. maybe take her to dinner every once in a while at a place that isn't where all your pilot buddies hang out. Yeah, don't belittle her acting career that she's also all already self-conscious about and he's just very also, nonchalant about it. I know it was the 30s, it was a different time, but like she is doing great. She's yeah. in real movies. She's in popular movies. She's making a living, you know? That's all you can want. Yeah, he's like a failing pilot, and he's like, get a load of my actress girlfriend over here, you know? My gorgeous <laughs> Jennifer Connelly <laughs> yeah. girlfriend over here. Oh, God, yeah. Um, But I think that this movie actually does have something to say about the fragile masculine egos of 1930s archetype like that you've got the 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 movie star and you've got the mobster and mm. you've got the fbi guy and you've got you know the brash pilot of course of course the, the not to de mention devilishly I mean, handsome the first guy who the rocketeer saves the first time the rocketeer is the rocketeer is saving a man who for very good reason like he's trying to you know be a, a good person mm -hmm. but is flying a plane that he has no business flying because he thinks that he's the only man who can do it you know it, it there's a hubris oh, that yeah. he's immediately responding to yeah that's an interesting point yeah because then even before that we get the scenes of him like his old war stories about about his time flying biplanes in the war and how that while he was obviously still trying to save Cliff's skin with that weird show and, you know, him wearing the clown stuff. He, like, that self-important, like, I am the only man for the job. I have my history with all of this. It's it's very interesting. See, I think that there is a little bit more um of a, a more layers to it than might be on the box, you know, in terms mm. of, like, those kinds of themes that are running through this film. And that's, honestly, again, it makes me sad, because I, like, I would like to have seen more sequels of this where they, they continue to build that out. Maybe get a 
little deeper on that in a sequel that we will, I mean, never see a true sequel to the original, sadly. But uh, it was so it was so ripe for more of that kind of development. It, in the end, he is still that kind of bumbling guy. He, he's learning his smaller lessons uh, amongst the greater scheme of saving the world. But I don't know. I just I want more Cliff Secord in my life. And I think they could have really done a lot. I also learned this um, when I was doing some research after our um, after our screening that I didn't realize when we were uh, announcing the uh, the Rocketeer sequel on here. One that the working title seems to be the Rocketeers. Oh, so what? that would be really interesting. So I'm really really curious how they're going to implement like that title would imply that maybe Cliff might be back in some capacity. It's it's or a mentioned. Peter Parker Miles Morales situation where he's like passing the mantle and then Cliff Secord dies in a fiery explosion in the first act. And I didn't realize this that and I I don't know how to pronounce his name even though I've loved him for de- for a decade. Um David Oyelowo, who is Do you know who I'm talking about? Agent Callus from Star Wars Rebels, by the way. He's also Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, and the first time I ever saw him was as Danny on MI5, um, a, sh- a show that is probably a deep cut for most listeners. <laughs> he was also, he already played a, a Tuskegee Airman in the movie Red Tails, which is a bad movie and you shouldn't oh, see it. well, um, time for a little redemption, a better a better Rocketeer movie. But he is producing and is rumored to star. Well, that would be awesome. I I would be very into that. I I just I like I said I want more Rocketeer. If it is the Rocketeers plural, that is even more hype that I didn't really have before. So I'm I'm very excited. Or it could be a team of new Rocketeers, I guess. Oh, like a squad of Rocketeers for the Yeah, like military. They they one has a blue helmet, one has a red helmet, one has a purple. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That's cool. Get get PV's engineer stuff going. In the in the in the trenches. I mean, kind of like uh, Chris Lloyd could still play Doc Brown. I definitely think Alan Arkin could still play. Oh yeah, PV. Hell yeah, that would be very cool. Because I mean, like I know that you know Rocketeer's set in thirty eight, so I would guess that the new one's probably gonna only be set in like something like forty two or forty three. Sure, it's a yeah. Year man, but it doesn't matter that Alan Arkin's <laughs> thirty years older. He looks enough the same. Yeah. Put him in a wig, it's fine. Exactly. Just like de-age him. Just just a smidge, it'll be fine. Nobody, he's so good as PV. I, I wouldn't mind if he was back at it again, even if he did look insane. He, they didn't even have to touch him up at all, and I would still be satisfied. He's so funny in this movie. He really like, is. He's making so many jokes. And he's got that that weird line about how he was in love with this woman like eight years ago, oh, yeah. and he's not dated anybody since then. That's so, yeah, that was so funny. They never go anywhere with that. Why wasn't she at the end? Why wasn't she at the end where Howard Hughes shows up with the plane? Because he's married to his work. I guess. Uh, and he's dating Howard Hughes now. So. Oh, um, there it is. Secret relationship. They flew that. They flew that plane together, and they fell in love <laughs> over 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 the Griffith Observatory as a zeppelin blew up next to them. Beautiful. So such romance. Oh man, that Lothar run where the, <laughs> the plane's <laughs> blowing up, it gets yanked back into the explosion is such gold. I mean, I meant what I said to you at the theater, which is. I believe that there should be a midnight version of The Rocketeer where the audience erupts into thunderous <laughs> yeah. applause every time Lothar is on screen. He, and, and well-deserved, too, because he's so good in this movie. I was telling my parents that we thought that, and they were like, why? <laughs> like, my parents who know and adore The Rocketeer, as I do. Like, we could, we could make up many more midnight screening rules, but I think that one is, like, top of the pops. That one stays. That's the golden rule. Scream we every time The Rocketeer takes off. 
stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, what do you throw like a spoon? You throw coffee pots full of hot coffee. <laughs> Smashing um, them in the theater. You could uh, you could throw sticks of gum. That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a little weird. And expensive, not to mention. Oh, very true. That's not that's not plastic spoons, is it? No, but no. There's there's certainly something that could be thrown. You all have little buttons that you throw whenever that little girl's uh wheel of her airplane. Oh, goes there, into it the soup there it is. There it is. Cliff sucks the soup. Oh off of my it. god, that's so gross. It's it's like a child's toy that is ostensibly just been in the dirt because children just played in the dirt back then <laughs> and then it was like in his pilot mechanic buddy's greasy hands then in his soup and then in his mouth and he hands it off to this little girl like it's all good it is jennifer Connolly's soup um oh right right ruined. that's right that's right because millie's like i'm sorry like <laughs> <laughs> What a good film. What a treasure. Honest to God, I love this movie so much, and I'm I'm more of a new fan. I Like I said, the first time I watched it was just a couple years ago, but it's it scratches that adventure itch. It's an adventure movie, and it's 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 lovely. I could watch it any day of the week, and I'd be very happy to. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, our Disney Plus Vault Deep Dive series never made it past <laughs> episode one back oh, yeah. in the day. Oh, I was re-listening but, to that old episode, and I heard that you be like, we'll do this at a regular interval, like, once a month. And I was like, uh, how young we were. A regular interval were. every two years, and it's always the Rocketeer. <laughs> it's just the Rocketeer. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely, that's the one and only on the list of the Vault Deep Dives, and it's, it's the only one that deserves to be up there. Well, I, that's what I was going to say. I bet you none of them would hold a candle honestly <laughs> to the maybe hot lead and cold feet which we still have to watch that's not on disney plus though right now. oh that's very it's a sad. disney movie but it's not on disney plus well um, I, I, it'll be hard for any movie to dethrone the rocketeer for me honestly seamus if we're still doing this show in two years you want to do the rocketeer again hell yeah man i assume we'll we'll do it again for the <laughs> the new one We'll do, a, when, we'll do double it up. That's probably when the new one will come out. So. Yeah, perfect. It'll give us time to catch we'll up on like, the wow, kids' Wow, how show. great is Timothy Dalton? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll just be like, he's so dastardly. Wow, still. Uh, or maybe we'll hate it for some reason. Something will happen, and we'll just we'll be like, we can't watch The Rocketeer anymore. <laughs> Timothy Dalton's going to get canceled? Oh, uh, did you hear Howard Hughes was a bad guy? <laughs> um, what do you say, Seamus, though we move on to our pop culture reference? Speaking of Howard Hughes. Ooh, let's do it. Today's pop culture reference is the Spruce Goose. The Hughes H-4 Hercules, otherwise known as the Spruce Goose, was a plane boat prototype developed in World War II by the Hughes Aircraft Company, though it gained its nickname from the body of the plane being entirely made of wood due to the wartime rationing of aluminum. The wood used was actually birch wood to accommodate the weight of such a large aircraft. After multiple taxi tests and a successful flight of 26 seconds by Howard Hughes himself, the project was retired before further practical testing could be conducted. The aircraft is now currently in good condition and on display at the Evergreen Aviation and Space Museum in McMinnville, Oregon. Hughes is obviously a hugely influential cultural figure, still inspiring iconic characters such as Iron Man himself, Tony Stark. 
The Spruce Goose is often referenced in pop culture, including today's main segment, The Rocketeer. Yeah, yeah I think this is a pretty open and shut one here for our pop culture reference, but it's definitely one that is still in the cultural ether. It's more of like a history lesson than a pop culture thing, but it's one of those few cutesy moments in The Rocketeer where they're like, oh, look, pop culture, do you get it? Yeah, that was it was definitely a little history wink joke. If anybody I, I did we ask the people that we were with, they got that that reference, right? That's that's big I enough think to we get. We talked to them about it though. It is still Nobody like knew if who you... Clark Gable was, but I don't think, <laughs> but Oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's uh that is that is a nice little moment though where he he uses it as a glider, the the miniature prototype. I I very much appreciated that. Yeah, it's a good one. It's just a good movie. What a good movie. I, I know we just got done fawning over it in the main segment. <laughs> oh, but... it's no, it's great. It's great. Even even the, the Howard Hughes of it all. He's such a charming guy, even though he's not even that big of a character, ultimately. No, but he does such a good job. And Terry O'Quinn is so good. And we're just back talking about Lost. We just can't <laughs> stop talking about Lost, ever. Oh, tune in for our Lost cast, our, our Lost Patreon. The same joke you made two years ago. Oh, wow. Is that are. true? <laughs> Still Time is a flat circle, Shane. Uh, still haven't seen a single episode of Lost, Garrett, to this day. <laughs> I, uh, is, uh, is this a new bit that you're going to do? Is Guy <laughs> who is just meaning to watch Lost? <laughs> Every every time I talk to somebody, that's that's my talking point. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. I, I, I'm still gonna. I'm getting around to it. Okay? It's been thirty it's years. Oh, that's funny. I like that. <laughs> but what do you say we head on over to save the rec center, Garrett? I think we should save it, Seamus. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Garrett, you want to go first this week, or should I? You go ahead, Seamus. You tell tell us what you got. Yeah, I think you went first last week anyway. It's my turn. It's my turn. These... Taking it back. Yeah, exactly. This is Seamus's time. This last couple weeks, uh, my absolutely fabulous, wonderful friend, Colin, for my birthday, gave me the Mass Effect Legacy edition legendary whatever it's the remasters of mass effect one through three and i have never i think it was more of an xbox thing back in the day if i'm not mistaken so i really i was never in it back in the day when it would have been like my perfect time for that when it was first coming out but getting to experience it now fully cold not knowing anything about mass effect um, and just di- diving headfirst into it, it's a absolute blast, man. It is the golden era of Bioware RPG video games, and it's it's beautiful. It's truly, it's just one of those classic RPGs that doesn't really give you a mark, like a marker to follow every step of the way. You kind of have to just like explore on your own and remember stuff and kind of know what you have to be doing for a quest to complete it and it just feels really classic and really really good the the combat's a little weird but everything about the worlds and the the uh, dialogue interactions and a lot of the things that you get to do choice wise i highly recommend it garrett i think i it's just another one of my many things to tack onto your list to play at some point you know I'm not really an RPG guy, but I have always been interested in Mass Effect for some reason. I don't know what allure it holds to me. I think, like, it's just this sci-fi epic space opera. I think that sounds so fun to play in. And I think, for whatever reason, the 
daunting nature of an RPG, the thing I don't like about most is how much freedom and how much choice you have. I think that's overwhelming. Mm. But in Mass Effect, it sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, it's so good, I don't know good, what it man. is. It's just... I really don't. Maybe it's just because I've wanted to be in Star Wars <laughs> since I was eight years old. Yeah, but... exactly. And honest, honest to God, it's so refreshing to have a big, like this big epic space story, like you were saying, that isn't... And God... God help me, I am a slave to Star Wars. I will I will play and watch anything they hand to me, but to have this like really well thought out sci-fi universe to play around in and it's like a like a full RPG too. You get to like make your own character and like make your own moral choices. It's very, you know, very fun like that and not have it attached to something that I already have an encyclopedic knowledge of. It's it's very refreshing and fun just to explore. It's just new, unique sci-fi, and it's very fun. Someday when that goes on sale and I have time, I will definitely pick it up because oh, it's yeah. already in my wish, my wish list on PlayStation. Yeah, for sure. It's like all three of them are already like 30 bucks full, full price, I think, so it's going to go on sale, and I'm sure you'll get a good deal on it. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. But what do you got this week, Garrett? Well, Seamus, you didn't take it, so you know I've got it. I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Yesterday, you and I sat down and we watched um, a movie I haven't seen since I was probably in high school. And I was a little worried but excited about revisiting. Also, weirdly shares uh, uh, an alphabetical... adjacentness to our main segment. <laughs> yes, it does. This is 1996's Michael Bay's The Rock, featured in the Criterion Collection, of course, but we watched it on Blu-ray, uh, the non-Criterion Blu-ray. <laughs> and it is just fantastic. I love it. Um, it's so stupid and so dumb, and Michael Bay, it's the only Michael Bay movie I like, really. I like the first Bad Boys fine but I think everybody in it is great. We were talking about, we were having a great conversation about character actors mm. earlier, and this has a great supporting cast of character actors. Sean Connery, Nick Cage, Ed Harris. I think it has one of the most compelling villains for a film of its ilk. It's really genuinely funny. The action is um, coherent, mm-hmm. which is more than I could say for almost every other Michael <laughs> every Bay movie. Every other Michael Bay movie, yeah. Um, but it still has the pleasures of a Michael Bay movie. It's got explosions. You know, the man oh, loves explosions. So many fiery gasoline Hollywood explosions. It's great. And it's got some of the, the some of those nice slow mo telescopic lens. Mm, yeah. Uh, tr- tracking shot, like the turning shot that he likes to do so much. And it's just so fun. It's really long for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. But also, I think that's part of the fun of it to me is that the first half of that movie is not at all what you expect it to be. It's really not, if I'm being honest. It it takes a it took a while for it to get where I thought it was going to, and even then, it, it very much eluded what I thought I was getting myself into. I think it's just a fun, stupid '90s action movie time, and I'd only seen it the once, and I'm so glad that it held up to what I remembered it being. Honest to God, I had an absolute blast watching this with you. It's been kind of on our personal, just like, let's watch this for ourselves and not for the show list for a long time, and I, it blew me away. I thought it was incredible. I, I, you know, just for Nick Cage alone, he's doing his 
perfect Nick Cage thing, but everything else a part of it. You didn't even mention Michael Bean for his, his short oh, term. How did I not his... even mention Michael Bean? <laughs> I was a little. I? I was a little taken aback when you you when talking about character actors that you did not drop the Bean, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, but he's truly, so good. he's so good. Everyone's so good. You, yeah, I, I'm a big fan, and definitely, I don't know, maybe one of the best '90s movies I could I could think of now. Truly, it's like I think a rock Con Air double feature would be. I was incredible. I was gonna say I'd never seen Con Air either, and I would love to. I feel like that has the similar vibe, and I know I've I've never we even seen must. it. But I mean unhinged nick cage nick cage <laughs> i was thinking so much today about him being a beatles fanatic and them spending so much time on that oh at the beginning yeah of this movie and doing nothing <laughs> with it yeah literally not a single thing that, oh yeah very funny and even like i feel like they gloss over a lot of the fiance stuff this is this is so much to talk about for this movie. <laughs> so much, we'll do The Rock someday, probably. We just yeah, yeah. We'll do we'll do Nick excuse. Cage month. It will do The Wicker Man, The Rock, uh, National Treasure, and Ghost Rider. I love that Con Air didn't even make that. <laughs> oh list, yeah, apparently. wait a minute. That's the one I want to watch. National Treasure will do when National Treasure Three comes out. So oh god, or or that show. Out. Also, real quick, I'll, this is the last thing about The Rock. Um, <laughs> if you came here for The Rock talk. I'm glad you're here. If you welcome back to Rock Talk, talk your one-stop rock for all things talk. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly, and I'm your other host. I couldn't think of a name from The Rock. Never Bond, mind. James um, Bond. Welcome to The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> but real quick, before we move on from The Rock, if you are a physical media connoisseur and if you're a Criterion head. As I know both of us are, Seamus. Oh, yeah. Um, don't be torn about the fact that The Rock is available on Criterion on DVD, but not on Blu-ray. Because if you buy the officially released Buena Vista Blu-ray of The Rock, it comes with the Criterion DVD special features on the actual disc. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting that Blu-ray picture quality. Although this, mm. the audio was a little quiet for me. A little quiet. Yeah, I agree. Um, but you're getting that Blu-ray picture quality with the Criterion supplements, and what more could you dream of? Yeah, oh yeah, that's that's a good deal right there. But that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast, find us on Instagram at PCR underscore podcast, and find us on TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Leave a review, a like, a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, go ahead and give us a subscribe on YouTube. Next week, we are going to be covering Red Taylor's version, and we're going to have a few guests on. The most crowded episode of Pop Culture Reference, I think, ever. It's going to be absolute chaos, folks, and I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. We've got some friends coming on who are some who are, who are more serious Swifties than we are. I'm going to get dunked on constantly i think i'm i'm the least swifty out of everyone we're bringing on here i'm gonna get schooled but in the best way you know oh, yes oh yes tears crying to taylor's all too well <laughs> but yeah be sure to join us next week adios amigos